You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, how to financially thrive and succeed with Kinesia of Thriving Dollars. T-minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. Thank you for joining me today. We are going to be talking to Kanisha of Thriving Dollars. And let me tell you why I really just, I, w- I was so interested in talking to Kanisha about her story, about her knowledge and what she's been through, because she just reminded me of myself. And so Kanisha is Jamaican. She's a Jamaican entrepreneur teaching financial literacy and how to create wealth in Jamaica, my home island. And I always think what I would have become if I ended up growing up in Jamaica, right? I was very lucky to have come to the United States at two years old from Jamaica. And for me, right, like I always think back because I still have siblings living in Jamaica. I still have family living in Jamaica. So I could have very well grown up in Jamaica and had a wonderful life also there. But I think about, okay, what would the Jamaican like me, how would I have been? How would I have sounded? And I would like to think, I would be teaching financial literacy or talking about this in Jamaica. And so I was like super excited to have Kanisha on the podcast because that's what she's doing. She's teaching people in her home island about finances, about how to grow wealth, how to thrive wherever they are. And if you are listening to this and you're not Jamaican, like that's fine. I think you can really pick up things anywhere you are. And Kanisha has a wonderful story because she herself has gone through a lot. She was actually very financially disciplined. You'll hear that in her story in her childhood, even to adulthood. And she, because of some financial pressure from family, actually went through a devastation financially. And so she had to recover herself and her money and her mindset and everything to embark back on the journey of wealth and you'll hear it. And it's a fascinating story. So I'm really hoping you learn a lot and enjoy it. And now she's on the podcast to share how you can thrive with your money. So before we get into the conversation, this is episode 119, episode 119. So you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 119 to find out more about Kinesia and just anything that we talk about. Remember, if you're following me on social media, tag me at journey to launch. So that's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're not following me, what's up? Make sure you're following me and you tag me. Let me know that you're listening to the episode and what stood out for you. So you can listen to this podcast anywhere. So if you're trying to share this podcast with anyone, this can be found on any podcast player. So whether that's Apple Podcasts, on any Android phone that has a podcast player, it can be on, you can find this on YouTube. You can find this on Spotify. Some episodes are on SoundCloud, not all of them, but essentially this episode or these episodes can be found anywhere. Go to journeytolaunch.com and find out exactly where you can listen. But I'm just happy you're listening, however it is that you found the episodes and podcasts. Now, without further ado, let's hop into this conversation with Kanishia. Hey, journeyers. So I am really excited to have this conversation. And just before I hit record, I was talking to today's guest, Kanishia Mays from Thriving Dollars, all about how I just am really thrilled at the work that you're doing, Kanishia, in Jamaica to bring awareness about finances and building wealth to like Jamaicans. And then for me, that like touches home because I am Jamaican. So I can't wait to talk more to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I loved your backstory when I read your bio and just kind of like your money story. You did such a good job talking about how you got to where you are today. And right now, you know, you are a financial educator. You are spreading the financial gospel in Jamaica on TV. (laughs) you're in TV. And so I want to take it back to some of the things you mentioned in your story, your money story. And you talked about being always interested in money. It was something you you were kind of good at. You were a good saver and it transitioned to you getting, you know, doing really well at a young age, but then you kind of had a change. Um, And so I want you to kind of talk us through that story. Right. So growing up, my parents had this tall wooden pan 
that I would consistently, this is as a child, like five, six, seven years old, that I would see them put their coins in. And so in my mind, that's what you did, right? I didn't know that it was saving or whatever it was. I just thought that's what you did. So when I started, when I reached a higher grade in primary school, what you would call elementary school in the U.S., I had my own pan and I started putting my own coins into my pan. I didn't do it well at first because I'd save all week and then just go to KFC at the end of the week, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's a habit that I formed really young and I took it into high school. And so what I used to do in high school, I knew how much lunch money I was supposed to get. I'm not sure if lunch money is a concept really in the U.S., but you get so Jamaican children tend to be more independent. So you get your money for your transportation and for your food. And you don't necessarily get dropped to school. A small minority of people have parents with cars who would drop them to school. The rest of us would take the bus and you would get money to buy your lunch at school or a snack after school if you're staying for evening classes. And so we've all been managing money for a very long time. But what I would do in high school is that I would take a calendar and I would count how many weeks there were in each semester. And then I would set a savings goal. And I had a list, just a paper that I just list all the weeks with check boxes beside them. And then from there, each week as it went on and I hit my savings goals, I just tick, tick, tick. And then at the end of the semester, I usually had a chunk of money. And this was fine, but it came with its own challenges where I'm the person in the household who is good at saving. And so that my parents ended up borrowing a lot of money from me as a child, right? So I'll give you one specific example. When I was in the third, sorry, the eighth grade, I had this thing where we called it a partner where everybody pools their resources and so we all pool funds together and we call, we call, we have what we call draws. So for example, let's say it's a two month partner within a, by a, the, the first month, somebody gets all the money in the pool. Everybody keeps throwing the next person gets all the money in the pool. So everybody gets an equal amount right. at, a different, at a different time period. Right. And this is a, actually, this is an old technique that Jamaica, Jamaicans use to, to save. And so I had a partner, I ran a partner when I was in the eighth grade. I collected all the money from the kids, deposited that money, and then I gave everybody their drawers. But what happened is that when my share was supposed to be handed to me, my mom had spent it. And at the time, it was about $30,000. And this is around, in US dollars, this would have been at that time closer to maybe $400, $500. And this is 2004 five. And so this was saved in a relatively short amount of time, but I didn't get that money. And so I continued to have that experience where I would be saving the money. My parents would be borrowing it for one reason or the next to send my brother to school, to pay bills, etc. Even as a young child, I, I was maybe 14, 13, 14 when I started becoming responsible for my own back to school expenses. Right. So I'd be responsible for my shoes and my bag to get all of those things that I needed for back to school. It just felt like a burden. And mm. as I continued on my habit, I just I built on that. I really, it was a foundation that I, I started young and I really built on that into adulthood. And when I got my first job, I was saving like a huge chunk of my salary. And I remember this so clearly. So when I just, just, just started my job, I had a small savings thing with one of the banks here. And I remember getting to 10,008 Jamaican dollars and my mom came to me and she needed $10,000. I had to draw that money from the, the bank. I had to give it to her, to her and I had $8 left. That did not feel good. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I got to a next point now a few months later where I had 20, I had 32,000 and she needed 28,000 to pay off a loan that she had because at this time she had moved to Trinidad. And so I was left with that loan that she had left in Jamaica. And so again, I'm down to $4,000. So when I actually moved in on my own at 19, I moved in broke. I didn't have food. I, didn't ha I really didn't have um, anything to really navigate. So I struggled for the first two, three weeks, not really eating much because I couldn't afford food. I just had enough money to get to work and get back, right? 
And so that just, I just felt like I was always put in a position where, because I developed a good habit early, I kept having to compromise my own finances because my family doesn't necessarily have that same, I don't want to say skill, but let's say skill. They don't necessarily have the same skill in terms of saving money. And so they kept coming to me as a child since a very young age to fund things that I believe parents should be fund should be funding and that just ended up getting to the point where it felt like such a burden that I just I had a huge chunk of money saved at one point and I just decided to blow it because it felt so unfair to be sacrificing so much and I literally meant I was sacrificing so much and the purpose of that savings was to send myself to university but I kept sacrificing just so I could do that for myself because I don't have parents who can do that for me And here I was, I don't get the benefit of seeing the money in a bank account. I don't get the benefit of spending it myself. I just wonder why, like, just, no, let me just, let me just blow it. And so I just, that money that took me a few years to save, I blew it within a few months. Wow. Okay. So, so much to unpack kind of here. I mean, I'm so impressed with the fact that you were so young and you had this mindset, despite not having or being grown up in a household where it seems like money management was was something that you were actually taught. It was something that seemed self-taught and you're very determined. And you know this experience that you're talking about, so you became essentially the bank. It's almost like the burden of being the responsible one. It's almost yeah. like, you know, you have kids and the, the, if you have one kid that needs more assistance and help and the other kid that's mm-hmm. kind of more stable or stronger mentally, physically or whatever, they're then expected to carry the weight for the other kid and maybe they don't get as much attention. But in my head, I'm just thinking... So many people experience this where it seems more of a burden that you are the more responsible one with money, let's just say, as the example. Yeah. And then everyone, you're like the bank. You're, so everyone comes to you because they're like, oh, she's doing well. And it makes it worse when it's family members, especially parents, right? Because if they're coming to you, especially because it could be like, let's just say it is a legit thing that they need for maybe a sibling or the household. And you feel a little obligation because, well, I'm a part of this household and right. you know, they raised me. And this is kind of in your culture, right? Especially Jamaican culture. And I would say probably a lot of immigrant families, you're expected to, it's, it's a group think. It's like about the group, not just about yourself. The fact that you then rebelled and was just like, if I can enjoy it, you know, because I have to give it away, I might as well spend yeah. it myself. Yeah. This is something that a lot of people experience, this kind of push and pull. And what I suspect why a lot of people don't, succeed with their finances is because there's an innate fear that if they do, then a lot of burden is going to be placed on them because of that. That is true. I can completely understand that because I've had the personal experiences. So you said you ended up blowing your money. So was it essentially because you wanted when they came to you, when your mom came to you to ask you for money, you want to say, listen, I don't have it. Like you wanted to say I'm broke too. So I don't have it to give you. Yes. No, that literally was it because I remember saying to myself, so what happened was my mom had visited from Trinidad and she didn't know how she was going to get back. And so the conversation came up where she was like, okay, so I need some money to go back. And I'm like, why did you come here if you didn't, you don't live here anymore? Like, why are you here without a way to get back home? You know? Mm -hmm. And she was upset and she was like, just give me the money. And she was doing the whole thing. And I'm looking at her crazy, like, what was this happening? And my final straw was that she came home one day. She was, she was livid. And apparently, so I had left my job without telling her. She's still mama bear. So if she finds out that, oh, she, my daughter left her job, she's going to stay in Jamaica longer to ensure that I'm good and I get a next job. And I just didn't want her there any longer, to be quite honest. But she came home livid. So first of all, she went to the bank and she tried to access the funds in my account. Obviously, she couldn't because I don't have her name on any account for good reason. Right. She was upset that the bank wouldn't give her the money. And I'm looking at this lady. She's cursing me out. And I'm like, I don't even understand what's happening. Like she told me that she went by my my former workplace as well to find out when my contract, because I told her I was on a contract break. So she, she went there to find out when my contract break was ending and they told her that I had left. And that, that was the first thing she started with. And then she told me that she, no, she started with the bank. Then she told me that she went to my, my former workplace. 
And I'm looking at this lady crazy, like, was she the bank? Like, I didn't even register what she had said about my former workplace until a while after. But I just came to that point where I'm like, you know what? Having money is such a burden. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Let me just use this money. Let me just get rid of it so that I don't have to keep doing this. Because we had such a massive fight where it could have gotten... And th- that was the first time in years that I saw myself really hurting somebody because the argument was so bad. And I said, you know what? I just, I don't want to be a part of this. So I just got rid of the money since it was such a problem to have. Mm, wow. I know that a lot obviously has transpired since then and we'll get into that. Yeah. But I'm wondering, so you blew the money. What did you spend it on? Because at this point, you've been depriving yourself. You say, you know, you've been making yeah. the sacrifices. You've been really astute and just on top of things. So I'm assuming now that you're just like, all right, I'm just going to do everything I want to do. So what did you do with that money? What did I not do with that money? My goodness. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of Amazon. So that was when I started shopping online for the first time because I figured out how to shop online in the U.S. and ship the stuff to Jamaica. So I was spending a lot of money on Amazon, on Forever 21, on Sephora, on Ulta. Like I just, listen, I glowed up. <laughs> Right, I glowed up with that money. So I started wearing nicer things, having nicer bags, and I started doing a lot of high-end designer stuff as well. And that was that, that really was a chunk of it. And obviously, the movie tickets. So I'd be going to a movie every weekend. I'd be eating out ever so often. I wouldn't be in the mood to go all the way home, so I just book a hotel room across the road from my job. This is like a couple hundred US per night. So I just did the most random ostentatious thing that it just I just decided to get rid of the money and I did so within a relatively short amount of time but one of the reasons too why I've always felt the need to have money is because I grew up in an abusive household so I witnessed domestic violence between my parents and in my broader community that being my family and I've also witnessed sexual abuse I've experienced sexual abuse but what happens with these women in my family is that even though they know this is happening, like I remember having a specific incident with my last stepdad and I told my mom and she was livid and she went to him and he told her something to console her. And then she came to me, she's like, oh, it's fine. It's nothing. And I just died inside. Right. That was my first experience. That was my final experience. But I just know that a part of that was the reason that she couldn't afford to leave because I'd seen it so, so, so many times before with the other women in my family where something happens with their daughters and some other man that they're with, even if that man is not the child's father or their husbands, they can't afford to leave. So they don't. And so I've always wanted to give myself the option because I just believe in leaving regardless of the I just I just believe in leaving and so even when I had that job that I left and I didn't tell my mom about I kept that money because I wanted to ensure that I had the option to leave so as soon as it got toxic I was out and I didn't have to worry about anything but what happened is that when I blew through the money I was in this it wasn't even a real job it was just something that I did I guess I mean I was there every day and I got a salary but it was so small that you know I don't really don't know. Like, it didn't do much. Mm-hmm. But when I blew through that money, that was the first time in my life where I actually felt stuck. I had never felt stuck before because I always had the option to leave and I knew that I'd be good because I had enough funds to just take care of myself for a few months, a year even, right? So here I was stuck in this job. I hated it so much. The whores were, they were cruel. At this point, when I think back on it, they were cruel. And I was also attempting to go back to school. That was my first go around with school in my 20s, my young 20s. And I remember having an incident at that job where it was super late. Well, they wanted me to work super late. And I'm like, actually, no, it's raining. I might not be able to get back home. That's not safe. And my boss was like, find your ass at work. And I'm like, oh, okay, we're doing that. So I hung up the phone, turned it off. I went to sleep. I slept that whole day. And I went into work the next day. They had this meeting and they didn't want to fire me. And I knew why, but I'm like, okay, so what do you want to do? They're like, okay, we have to find a way to punish you. And I'm like, you actually cannot punish me because I'm not a child. That's not how this works. And so they contemplated and they wanted me to take 
another role in the company. I'm like, I'm not doing that either. So mm-hmm. what else do we have? And they're like, okay, so I think we just, we, since, you know, since you won't do that, then I think we just have to let you go. And I'm like, all right, fine. But what happened, I won't share the exact conversation, but what happened is that they were essentially blackmailing me. And I didn't, I really didn't have enough funds to be able to walk away, but I still did. But I just remember feeling stuck and disrespected and violated that this, they would try me like that. Like I'm still right. to walk away regardless of being hungry or broke or poor. I'm completely ready to walk away from a friendship, a relationship, a job, anything that doesn't serve me, my mental health my peace of mind. And so I just remember that feeling of being stuck and disrespected because I didn't have the money to leave. Can I ask what your field was, what you were working in? I was working in customer service, but it was for a tech store locally. So I helped with device repairs and also it wasn't anything like that required. I had great skills, but I'm really good at selling. And so that was what I did for them. Sales, I helped them to not help them. I was a customer service slash sales representative that brought them a lot of money, which is why they didn't want to fire me. But I didn't Right. So it seems that now, you I mean, you always operated from this idea that you wanted to have control and power over your life. Yes. And because you were frustrated with your mom and your situation, you blew through your money, but then you got in a situation where you felt like, wow, I am in a place that I don't like feeling. So this is what prompted you to turn things around. So how did you get out of your situation? How did you get back on track with your money? Well, it got a lot worse before it ended up getting better. So when I left that job, I started to freelance at this importing company, um, an aviation company. So I was helping the... So when I just started shopping online, I told you I figured out a way to import things. And so I was helping this company who did the same thing. So I did marketing for them and some back-end office stuff. But what happened is that wasn't consistent income. And I obviously had new... I just had, didn't have savings anymore. I didn't have that cushion anymore. And so I started to use my credit card to fund just, the, just literally to stay alive, right? To pay bills, to buy food. I was, at that point, I wasn't doing anything ostentatious. That was like a, maybe a six, seven month run. And so I basically had very little income, nothing to really sub, so, um, to sustain myself. But I'm using the credit card and so now introducing credit card debt, right? At the top of 2013. And at that point, it hadn't gotten as bad as it ended up getting a few, maybe a year or so later. But I just remember I've never had debt before. So this was new, right? And I was feeling so low and so depressed because I am the person who is so good at money. I taught myself this thing and here I am broke and hungry. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to my mentor and I asked, for some help. I, I didn't ask for some help. I told him I needed him to teach me how to be rich. That, that was my exact thing. And he gave me this flash drive with a million audiobooks. Like, okay, you can listen to these. And I'm looking at this man crazy. Like, sir, you're giving me homework. I want step one, step two, maybe step three, rich. You know, I don't mm. want homework. But he gave the homework to me. I ignored it for a few months until one Sunday I was home. And I was like, I just felt so depressed, ridiculously depressed. And so I finally listened to the audiobook, and one of them, the second one I listened to was Rich Dad Poor Dad, amazing, amazing um, book. And in that book, I heard him talk about making money work for you. Now, granted, I'm 20 something and I've never heard this before in my life. So I called my mentor, like, what does this mean? He's like, oh, yeah, that's like when you invest and you do this and that. And I'm like, how do you invest? Bear man, I'm great at saving because I taught myself that but I'd never heard of investing before. And so he broke it down for me. Oh, there's real estate, there's a stock market, there's this, there's that, there's retirement planning. And I, would got, I got so curious that I started to do a lot of research into these different things. And when, at the end of that research, I remember deciding that, all right, so I want to open a brokerage account because I want to learn how the stock market works because it felt so foreign to me. And I don't, I don't particularly like that. Like I just have this curiosity where if something seems so, out of marriage, I try to learn as much about it as I, I need to make it approachable for me, right? And so I did my retirement fund as an unemployed person. <laughs> I started mm-hmm. my retirement fund as well as um, my brokerage account. And this is after extensive research. So I decided on the company, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I had like this final, I think it was maybe like a final 20 or 15,000 Jamaican dollars left in something, something it was tied up in. So when I, when I ended up pulling that money, which I lost a lot of it, but it was fine. It wasn't doing anything for me. And so I used that to open the brokerage account and to start my retirement fund. I learned how to operate in the Jamaican stock market by studying or reading a lot about the U.S. stock market. So I started with Investopedia and all of these websites. I signed up for every single newsletter that existed at the time. And I learned about the U.S. stock market. And then I was able to translate that information into the local stock exchange. Because at that time, we didn't have anything written about it where you could Google it. Or there just wasn't any information. Right. And so that was some of the things that I did. But one of the things that happened is that at mid-2013, I just felt like, why didn't I learn this in school? Like, I hate math. And you spent so many years force-feeding me trigonometry and Pythagoras theorem that are not a part of my real life, no. But you weren't teaching me these things. And so I started to blog about what I was learning. As I was learning it, I was learning information with my audience. And that kind of grew slowly into what became Thriving Dollars in a few years, a few years later. But in terms of the credit card, so I, I got a job in September of 2013 and I was using that job to pay off the credit card slowly but surely. And just before I did, um, so I just had, a, just had an overall bad experience there and I decided I didn't want to be there anymore. So I spoke with HR. We agreed that the contract would not have been renewed. It was a six-month contract and we agreed that it wouldn't be renewed. And then I transitioned into my first business, which is accessories and essentials that I literally bootstrapped from six US dollars. Like when I think back on that now, it mm -hmm. sounds crazy, but that's mm -hmm. exactly what I did. And so I ended up running that business for close to two years. But as I was going through it, I didn't have, I really did not have any experience or any funds to keep it going. So I used a credit card to order my inventory. And so I remember in summer of 2014, this is when it got really bad. So I made my first big order, a ton of handbags for the summer. I'm like, I'm going to make bank. I never got them. I've never seen those handbags. I've never gotten back the money. And so that put me in such a deep hole because usually I'd use a credit card, get my inventory, sell them, clear that I'd be fine. You know, it's a cycle. I kept it going and I was able to make enough profit where I could take care of myself personally and reorder inventory. But here I was now out hundreds of dollars and this is hundreds of US dollars, which in Jamaica, that's a lot of money, right? right. And here I was just, just, I didn't know what to do. And I remember writing, I remember writing this journal entry that this credit card that felt like I was walking on a tight rope in the middle of a snowstorm with not, not a rainstorm with the, with a noose around my neck. That's what it felt like. That's what that being in that amount of debt felt like. It felt like either way I was dead. If I could just interrupt, because I want to understand the timeline also just in like yes. setting the scene. So at this time you were still in your own personal credit card debt or you had gotten control of that by the time well, you started your business? I had gotten control of it up to the point that I started the business. And then when you started the business, you started to get into more debt right. because of the business. Exactly. Because right. I was, yeah, that's pretty much but, it. Okay. And then at this point though, you are also investing. So even though you had the debt and you're working on that, you are learning about investing, you're investing in Jamaican stock market and retirement. I was investing at the time. So I was it was really, so that first initial, that initial money that I used to fund my brokerage account, that was really what I would call my trial money now, because that's what I used to learn. You know, I made a lot of mistakes and that was really how I figured out how this thing actually works. I made, I did make good on that money. I ended up flipping it later down, but initially I just was losing money left, right and center because I didn't know what I was doing, but, but I was still investing I still, well, at the time that I started my business, I wasn't diverting any funds into the stock market, but I still had my set of stocks there and I still had my retirement fund. I still, I think I maybe was diverting money to my retirement fund at the time, but I wasn't diverting money to the stock market from that business. All right. So this kind of sets the stage. I mean, obviously you're very ambitious and the fact that you said you were curious, this is the one, this is a quality that I keep saying to people that anyone that comes on my podcast that has seen a level of success or have 
paid off debt and made these strides in their life and finances. It's this level of this growth mindset, this curiosity where if they're interested in something, something peaks their their mind, the seed is planted, they want to explore it. So yeah. with that, I do want to talk a little bit about the J- Jamaican experience and how it is to invest or build wealth there because, you know, I'm Jamaican. I was born in Jamaica. I always talk about that. And I have a sense, I, you know, a huge sense of pride like for my home country. And I actually have a of lot course. of family member back home in Jamaica. And I'm always curious because, you know, I would say, well, if I didn't get the opportunity to come up here, right, to be mm-hmm. blessed enough to be able to to come up here and have the opportunities that I've had, what would my life had looked like in Jamaica? So for like you, and you did set the nice, like a nice scene of what it's like for most Jamaican kids growing up, like you have to be very independent. And I definitely see that um, and heard that a lot from my mom. It's like, you're forced to kind of grow up kind of young in terms of the responsibilities that you're given, but what are the options? So in terms of the differences and options for people in Jamaica to invest, do most companies offer, retirement accounts? Is there something like a 401k or is it totally different? What's that like? Some companies do, but they are, it's not as ordinary as it used to be. So you can still work for a company. So I know the government is basically mandatory for them to provide pension for their, so it, all government employees, basically once they go through a period of probation, then they have their pension plans through the government. In terms of private companies, only a few currently anymore offer pension plans. And so a lot of people don't know this, which is why I try to demystify the information as much as possible. But they don't know that they can actually start their own retirement funds. So if you don't have a company-sponsored pension plan, which most people really don't, unless you've been there for a very long time or it's one of these what we call blue-chip companies, right? But you can simply go to a brokerage firm, not the commercial banks, a brokerage firm, and they are able to open a private retirement fund. And so it's not a 401k, it's what we call an individual retirement account. And in Jamaica, we have different laws. One of them is that you can contribute legally up to 20% of your gross income to your retirement fund. And so what happens is that this reduces your taxable income. A lot of people, like I said, they don't know this, but what's happening is that the government is basically incentivizing you to plan for your retirement because, and I always say this, in a few years when your hands are in your own pockets, you won't have to stretch it out to them. And so they basically try to ensure that they give different incentives now that will help you to get ahead of your retirement planning journey. So you can contribute up to 20% legally that reduces the taxable income. And obviously in a few years when this has compounded, then you'd be in a better position than if you hadn't. Right. Now, is there an age also limit of when you can start touching that without penalty like there is here in the U.S.? Yes. So you can opt for early retirement, which here it's 50 years old. But before, well, before that, you don't have an option. So that's the thing with a private retirement fund. Where so I remember when I was going through the whole credit card debt thing, and I know I had money in the accounts, so I was calling them, like, listen, listen, I'm paying like close to 100% in terms of interest. Just give me this money, let me put it on this thing and close it. And they're like, yeah, no, you have to literally die or to retire to get the money. So you don't ever get back access to it until 50 or death. And it acts as a almost like an insurance policy where if you die, then it's paid out to your estate and to your beneficiaries according to what you say. Mm, That's interesting. So it's good to know because here is why it's like, it's so different. Like when I'm talking from my perspective about retirement and early retirement, right? So part of the strategy for people here in the US who are looking to retire early, even though there might be some penalties if you access it before the standard retirement age, there are some like workarounds to reducing the penalties right. and it's interesting. So in Jamaica, you don't even have if you're if you're contributing to a pre-tax retirement account, then there's no option to get it earlier than fifty. So it's literally you are saving for your future. So in that way, I guess the brokerage account that you open, that's something that you can access anytime. Yes, I can access the brokerage account um, as it relates to the retirement fund as well. So if you are with a company and you have a pension plan sponsored through that company be it that they're matching or not, 
if, if you decide to leave or when you decide to leave, you can access that, that phone. You can do that because it's through the company. But once you go ahead and you open an individual retirement account, a private pension plan, you will never get access back to that money. Mm, okay. All right. And so in terms of like investment options, so, you know, in the US, we have like diverse options depending on where you're investing, right? So we can right. invest in index funds and individual stocks. Is I know you can do, you can invest in companies in Jamaica, but what are the options that you have? Do you have a diverse set of low fee options or compared to the US, it's something totally different? We actually have a better and more lucrative investment market than you do. So, all right, so year to date in my stock portfolio only, and I haven't actively been trading, I've made up to, I think it's about 60, 62%. When I say that number to somebody in the US, they think I'm crazy. That makes no sense. 62% return? Yes, that's profit, not including any of the fees, 62%. That number to you guys sound ridiculous, but it's what's my norm. It's what's the norm for my friend group, right? This is, this is. Is this picking, like, is this because of the actual companies that you guys are just picking and they're just great companies or this is what's like the average return in Jamaican companies or stocks? That's actually the, the average return is 100% actually. So we've had the best performing stock market in the world. I think we had it in 2015. We think we also had it again in 2017. Um, this is according to Bloomberg. You can do the research. So we typically have, our stock market tends to be lucrative. For one, we don't have the opportunity. Well, let me not say opportunity. We're not as susceptible to these larger company frauds that you guys are susceptible to in the US. Our, our market is very, very, very highly regulated. And so the, the fraud is just, it doesn't have room to thrive, right? So for one, it's, it's, it tends to be a lot safer. In terms of the companies, so Jamaica has a population of about 2.9 million people. And I believe only less than 5% of the country actually invest in the stock market. But we have a very small, small set of investors here. But what happens is that those who finally get to understand how the stock market works, they tend to be aggressive. And so that obviously pushes up stock prices. And that obviously makes for a very healthy and lucrative investment, investing environment. And so, yeah, so our market just tends to be a lot more lucrative and a lot safer, to be quite honest. And because a lot of the companies that are listed are our foundation companies. Right? These are the companies that you can be guaranteed that you leave Jamaica or the earth before they do, right? So our NCBs or Grace Kennedys, like these are foundation companies. These are the companies that have been, I think NCB was the first company that actually, when the stock exchange just launched in the 70s, they were one of the first companies listed, right? And so we have these very strong companies that are listed. We also have a junior market. So our stock market is actually divided. So we have the main market and the junior market. The main market is where all the blue chips are listed. So there was Sinkos and, well, you know, just all those foundation, big, large companies. And then we also have a junior market. So this is where smaller companies tend to list. And the government also incentivizes the junior stock market in that if a company wants to access capital, to grow their business, to expand markets, etc. What happens is that they can list on the, the junior stock market and they receive five years at no taxation and then the next five years at half taxation, right? And so that allows them to keep funds into the business, um, to reinvest back into the business, to expand, to grow, to fund other opportunities that can help them to increase revenue. And so I tend to play in a mixture of both. I know people who just prefer to stick to the blue chip companies and keep it very simple. And then I also know people who love the growth that smaller companies tend to bring in terms of what they add to the portfolio because it's easy for a company to go from a dollar to six, right? So just imagine the returns between $1 to $6 and that's on the junior market. So a lot of people tend to, but a lot of my friends tend to prefer junior companies. The blue chip companies tend to be more expensive. So you're not actively trading them as much. Or if you see them being actively traded, they're usually traded between the brokerage houses. So they'll buy a portion of these stocks 
and they'll buy them for their pension plans. They'll buy them for their different unit trusts, etc. Right. And so you'll see the trading activity between the brokerage houses. But besides that, I mean, we just have a very stable and lucrative stock market here. Wow. So for most Jamaicans, right? Only you said less than 5% of the population is are investing in yeah. the stock market. Why is that? Now, I know some of those reasons, but I'd love to hear from you why that is other than like just knowledge. So I know that's a big part. Some people just don't even know that this is possible or they can. But is the average person in Jamaica, like, I don't, you know, I know there's a difference in currency and yeah. just standard of living. Is that like the average person able to invest like this? Do they have money left over after they're paying their bills and living expenses? You know what? They do. They don't. They may, they may not realize that they do, but they do. Barriers to entry are not that high. You literally need to just have the funds. So each brokerage host, they have different requirements in terms of what you can start a brokerage account with. For example, one company might charge $100,000 another company might charge half a million dollars and another company might charge 10,000 Jamaican dollars. Fees or this is the minimum to invest? Neither. It's literally just to open the account with. Right. So the minimum to invest. That's how much you right. need. So even if you don't invest that money, that's just what you need to open the account. So you can open the account. You can have it sit there for a few days. You can literally pull it back out. But that's what you need to open the account. But what happens is that different companies target different clientele. So, for example, half a million, one million dollars. Obviously, we're speaking to the higher, the upper echelons of the Jamaican society. Wait, you know what we should do? Because we should probably do just a quick exchange. So for a lot of people who are not from Jamaica, or don't understand the currency exchange to one dollar. It's what Jamaican dollars? Um, you know well, for the rest about? of this conversation, I'll use a hundred. But the actual um, conversion is about one hundred and thirty to thirty five dollars. Right. So for every one dollar is one hundred and thirty about this is all about yeah. Jamaican dollars. So when Kanisha is saying like a hundred thousand Jamaican dollars, that's obviously going to be much less in US. I just wanted to yeah. clarify that for anyone's like, whoa, like you know, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about so like I said, I'm I'll just use hundred just to keep it round. And so if I'm talking about a hundred thousand dollars, then for you it's a thousand. In the US it's a thousand just to keep a round number. Right. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, they target different segments of the Jamaican population. Then you have other companies that, you know, you just need 5,000 Jamaican dollars, which would be $50 or $10,000, which would be 100 to open a brokerage account there. And once you get access to the, once you open the brokerage account, you basically have access to the market where you can buy and sell. But the reason why a lot of people don't do it, there's still this fear like, well, we've all witnessed the 2008 financial crash. We've all been around for that. And so we saw what that did to the world not just to the U.S. because it was felt across the world. And so I think a lot of the fear of that still lingers. And in addition to the fact that people just don't know, like they think it's this thing, like just, just like I, when I'm speaking about stocks or I'm encouraging somebody like you really should consider this do some research. I always remember the place that I started from where had I not have a mentor who said to me, oh yeah, you should try this thing. I would probably have never done it. I mean, eventually maybe I would, but he prompted me to do something that to me was like, oh no. Because in my mind also at that time, investing in stocks or investing in general was something that rich people did to stay rich. I didn't know something that people like me did to build wealth. And mm. so having that mindset shift over the years has really helped. And so I understand the approach that a lot of people have or the reservations that they have as it relates to not only investing in the stock market, but just investing in general. And because we also have such a save, saving culture in Jamaica. So for example, I told you how I grew up just learning how to save. A lot of people do that. And then we also have the partners, which again is a next version of a saving plan. And then we have the credit unions, which again is a next version of a saving plan. And so we're such a country that's intent on saving which really doesn't do much because you might earn six, seven, eight percent on returns on something that you're saving, right? Some golden harvest, something from one of these credit unions versus actually taking control of your money or even putting it into something a little bit more aggressive and then 
doubling and tripling that returns as if you're doing nothing really. Right, especially with inflation. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can literally, instead of they sell you on this 8% and you think it's amazing, but you don't know that there are actually people like myself who are accustomed to like on us in a slow quarter, I'll do maybe about 30% versus you're getting 8% per annum. If mm-hmm. I go to my friends now and I'm like, yeah, you know, I made 50% this year, they would laugh me to scorn. Like, what do you mean? Oh my gosh. Are you poor? Do you need help? You know, that's how ridiculous that sounds to us. And that's not to say that we're way more skilled or anything than anybody else. It's just that we've invested the time to learn how this thing, this thing works and um, how it works. And then basically just to take advantage of that. Right, right. So ah, there's so many things. I mean, I don't even, it's we're not, not going to be able to all cover it in like this one conversation, but sure. just touching upon now this, like, I totally get the fear part of it, right? So not yeah. only do you, you have to get to the point where saving, right? And I do agree with that because that's one of the things I was taught and a lot of people. So sometimes, yes, you are growing up in households where saving is not even a thing, but then a lot of times you are, are at least brought up in a household where there is a savings, is a structure or a strong foundation of the household, but that's it. And building wealth and becoming financially free involves much more than just saving because you need to yeah. grow your money. Yeah. So what is the solution? I know Thriving Dollars is helping because now you're you on TV, you're talking about it, you're trying to educate Jamaicans on that this is possible and there's someone that looks like them who's young and is hip, right? Like can that can do this too. But are there any programs being thought about or anything on the table for like this to be taught uh, in schools or like you said, like something where it's going to be like, this is like foundation things that I feel like the people back home in Jamaica need to understand and at least know about so they can start making the decisions on how they want to go about building wealth. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Um, so in terms of anything regulated or anything structured for it to be introduced in schools, not yet. It's something that I'm working on. And let me just put an open call. If there's anybody who has an interest in helping me to implement this, then please reach out. But it's something that I personally want to be mandatory in school. Like math is, this, the, the math that I never use in my real life is something that I believe should be mandatory in schools starting at the elementary level all the way up to the high school level. Because like I said, as children in Jamaica, we're very independent. We get, peer, we get money from our parents to go to the shop, buy this thing bring back the change, count the change properly to ensure that you didn't, you didn't um, get robbed, etc. And here's money to go to school. And so we've been managing money for a long time, but nobody teaches us how to properly handle that money, right? And I think it's so sad because we have the opportunity, just the, the fact that we're exposed to money at such a young age, we have the opportunity to really shift the culture as it relates to building wealth, actual wealth. And so it's something that I'm working on getting implemented in the schools. I've been, I've been working now, chipping away at it. Um, and so far, what I've come up with is a kiddies investors group that I'm starting in the final quarter of this year. And so I think that will actually help. And even so, my thing is that working with millennials or even children, that tends to be, in my opinion, the most effective way to get this information out there because not only are they responsible for raising the next generation and being the next generation, it's also where we have the opportunity to impact our parents as well. You know, right. just an example, like a child can say, mommy, do you know that when we go to the supermarket, like a child can have that conversation and help their parents to actually understand some of the concept that, concepts that they're learning. And so I think it's really important that children get the information and the millennial population in Jamaica as well. Gets yeah. That yeah. Now, just quickly, because I do want to touch upon, so you are based in Kingston? I am based in Jamaica, wherever in Jamaica. Jamaica. So you travel all over. So just for yes, everyone, like, different parishes. And so this could just be my ignorance. Because like I said, I came here to the United States when I was two. And although I have family back home, they like would laugh, you know, when I come to Jamaica, like they're like, just don't talk because they're going to know that you, oh, you don't yeah. even try to they're you gonna get tax immediately. Like the right. price goes up from 100 to 150 just because of your right. you're going to get taxed more because you're American, you look American, all this stuff. So that's fine. But I'm always wondering about, you know, yes, there's like a pop, uh, definitely a population of Jamaicans that have the means 
they have the job and it's really about learning how to manage their money and then divert some money into investing so they can grow it. And then I'm wondering about the population of Jamaicans that don't have it, right? I know that are living in poverty that are still trying to just come up for air. And I know that's a bigger problem, not, not something that we can solve on in the conversation here. But for people, and maybe someone will listen to this and like, what are the things that they can do to start getting themselves on the right footing and to a level where that they can one day invest? Okay, so I love to tell people to begin exactly where you are. Right. We always think that we need some external resources where this massive lot to win or something. And you can start where you are. So for example, so I know in the US you have I've seen it before, there's this five dollar challenge where you save all your five dollar bills. Yeah. No, a five dollar in the US is equivalent to five hundred Jamaican dollars here. That's not feasible for most people. And it may be feasible to be quite honest, but I've modified that and I've started a $50 savings thing where I save on my $50 bills in Jamaica, which for you would be nothing really, 50 cents, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I've been doing this for a while. And one of the things that I do, because it's so small, you don't miss it. Like $50 does not buy much in Jamaica. Like you probably can buy sweets. Like that's the extent of it. You don't get much with $50. Right, candy. Mm -hmm. Right. What I've always told people is just to save those $50 bills. Just do it for a month, two months, and see where you are, right? And so I love when I get the messages that, oh my God, look, I have all these $50. What should I do? No, I'm like, go invest it. So one of the things that I've done over the past couple of years is that I save all my $50 bills and I save all my coins. And at the end of every quarter, I'll take that. I'll go to the brokerage house. I'll invest. I'll put that money in my brokerage account and I'll actually invest that in stocks. And I'll flip spare change. So I literally, I'm making profit from spare change. All of us have the ability to save for $50 bills because like I said, you don't get much with it. So if you are able to just start exactly where you are, just put these $50 bills away, put the coins away. We also have this culture in Jamaica, which I'm surprised we don't, we don't divert that into actual savings and investments, but we save coins. Like every Jamaican household has something that they collect all the coins in every Jamaican household. Mm-hmm, right. It's just that after a period of time, that money is, after they, they pull that, those, those coins out and they get them changed over, they spend it. They don't think about investing it. And so I'm doing the work and I've seen people, I'm seeing it starting to finally catch on where people are taking that spare change and they're actually putting it into some form of invest, investment. Now, you might not be able to open a brokerage account initially with that, but if you open a unit trust, just to host the money because you don't want to, you don't want to have it, right? Because you might be tempted to use it. So if you put it in a unit trust and then eventually when you get to the $10,000 or the $20,000, then you can pull that money from the unit trust and immediately put it over into the brokerage account. Use that to open your brokerage account and start to buy and sell your stock. So I try to make it as approachable for literally every single person. Right. And then when you think about it, if you even just like do a quick math and I'm sure if you show them like, okay, but, and if you put in 10,000, this is how much with the returns that you get, this is how much it can grow to. Like, can you imagine that? And I'm sure that excites, I mean, everyone, even no matter where you live would excite like this compounding interest is mm-hmm. amazing when it's, when it's working the right way, right. When it's working and exactly. um, growing money. So the last thing I want to like end on, because I think it's super important and it's a big part of your story. And I feel like so many people are going through this where you are the bank of your family or you feel very obligated to help your own detriment. (laughs) Knowing what you know now when it comes to dealing with your mom and situations where people want money from you, what's some advice? What would you do differently now knowing what you know? Well, after having that experience and just that feeling for those few years of being in debt, I eventually paid off all my debts in the day before my birthday in 2015. So October 26, 2015, I've never had debt since. But just the journey of that, I remember just like, I don't, I don't ever want to be back in that place. Like, even if you made enough money, you still had to pay this credit card. I just, I don't want to ever be back in that place. I want my money to belong to me. And so I've had to structure things a lot differently, right? So for example, and this might sound so counterproductive, but I limit how much I share about my finances with my mom specifically. My, I have other people who I share a little bit more in details. I have a cousin who she emulates a lot of what she sees me do. 
So she's like, oh, I want to open a brokerage account. Can you teach me how the stock market works? And so I'll have those conversations with her just for her to see that there's something different that can be done. We've never done this before in my family. So even as it relates to just conversations about money, I limit who I share what with. Because like I said, I just don't want to ever be back in that place. But you also have to realize that people are actually self-reliant. So what was happening is that it's not necessarily that I was my, I was the only option for people to come to. I was the easiest option. When I realized that maybe two years ago, that really shifted something for me because I realized that, oh, if I tell you, no, guess what you're going to do? You're going to figure it out. So you go figure it out. My answer is no. I just had to allow myself to allow these people to trust themselves that they can figure it out. Or if this doesn't work, if I can't come up with this money, is this thing that I'm trying to do, is it really that important, right? And I just doing this has helped them to really establish priorities and has really helped them to, to modify their plans. So for example, my mom will come to me, I need you to do this thing. And I'm like, okay, where's your money? Can you just do, where's your money? And eventually she's like, all right, so I don't have all the money, but here's what we can do. I have this much, so I'm going to ask you to do this. And then eventually, and I'm like, boom, there you go. Versus what I used to do before when she came to me, is like, okay, mom, fine, here you go. Right? And it's just allowing people to trust themselves to figure it out. And then also having the conversation that you just be honest about it. Like you are actually placing such a burden on me and establishing to them what your priorities are. For example, had I had a conversation, I believe a few years back before we had that fight, then it probably would have turned out different. If I had said, you know what, this money that I'm saving is really for my college tuition. It's really so that I can do something different that you're not able to do for me. It's really so that whatever my reason is and put that at the forefront. So you understand that every time you ask me for money, this is exactly what you're asking me to compromise. And you know how important this is not only for me, but for our family. I'm doing things that have never been done before, have never been thought of before in this family. Right. And it's important that I create some sort of shift so that the children who come after me, they see something different and they realize that, you know what, there's more like, I recently got my driver's license. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 30, but I'm like, these are things that we don't do in my family. We don't go to college. We don't get driver's license. We don't buy cars. We don't invest in the stock market. We don't do any of these things. And I want there to be something different. So now I get my license. My younger cousin, she's 17. I'm looking at her like, hey, you can go get your learners. You can start learning how to drive. And she's like, oh, really? okay. And so it's in her mind now that it's something that we do. You get me? Mm-hmm. And my older person, no, she, she came to me excited recently. She said, I got my learners. Look, look, look. And she's excited. And I helped her to pay for part of her driving lessons, right? Because once I see that you're making some sort of step, then I'll help you. I have no problem with that. But it's not for you to come to me to just, I need money for this thing. I have to see the importance of it. And then I have to decide that it's something that I want to participate in. So it's just creating a shift in my family and in the wider population that there are options that are available to us that we just we just haven't seen it before. So we don't know it's there. Right. And I love framing it to them saying, listen, you know, you might not understand, but this is for it's bigger than me and you like I'm doing this as self-preservation, but as family preservation, like yes. because if I give this to you, then it's putting us all back into the same boat where now if I need help, who am I going to turn to? And then exactly. the other thing I think is important is people might just be upset at you, right? They might think you're selfish. They might think all these things and hopefully it's a something they will understand and come to understand why you're saying no. But if they don't, you also have to just be okay with not being Understood. always right. Yes. And on because I, you know, I kind of, I get that that's also something for people. It's just like, oh, I don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want to think I'm selfish. And it's just like, but that's not the case. And hopefully with time they understand. And if not, you know why you're doing the things you're doing and you know exactly. how hard you're working for your money. This was amazing. So inspirational. I mean, I'm just so happy to have journeyers hear this conversation, no matter where you are in the world. I think you will gain a lot from it. So thank you so much, Kanisha. Now let everyone know where they can find you, where they can keep up with what you're doing. The website is thrivingdollars.com. The Instagram is at thrivingdollars, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Google Plus that no longer exists. It's literally thriving dollars every single place. 
And I'm at, at Kenny Shemis on every single platform as well. So please reach out, connect. Okay. And I will link all of Kanisha's contact information in the show notes. So thank you so much again, Kanisha, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Jamila. I really hope you enjoy the conversation with Kanisha. And even if you're going through something where you feel financially burdened or you feel that you've had a setback in your finances that you know you can recover, you can bounce back. And again, what I really like about Kanisha's story is that She's Jamaican. So her situation, the way that, you know, the financial markets are, are different than in America and in other places, wherever you're listening. But some of the concepts and foundations remain the same no matter where you live. And also to encourage you that even if you maybe feel that you have been born without advantages or with some setbacks that you can make it, I really believe in self-responsibility. So after you dust yourself off and maybe you realize like you weren't given the best hand that you now take whatever cards you've been dealt and you turn them into cards that can help you win. So hopefully this encourages you to do that. Again, episode show notes, journeytolaunch.com slash episode 119. Then make sure you're tagging me on social media at journey to launch. Let me know what you thought of the episode and what stood out for you. Now, until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. journeyers.